Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World The Rundown. This is a new feature show that we're trialling right now with myself and Dustin Coates. Welcome Dustin. Hey Kane. How's it going? Going pretty good, how about yourself? Yeah, good, good. Excited to try this. Um, so, boys and girls, what we're, what we're going to do is, um, every week or every or every two weeks, bi-weekly or weekly, um, when we can manage it, we're going to kind of bring you this, this rundown feature show. And we're going to kind of pick, cherry-pick some of the announcements. It could be feature releases, it could be uh, news, it could be case studies, anything and everything that we feel you'd be able to benefit from and take some practical insights from uh, to go away and improve, whether it's your your voice development skills or your voice design skills or giving you a bit of a different way to think about voice strategy uh we're gonna kind of have a bit of a discussion between ourselves and uh hopefully you can take something from it excited to get started dustin yeah i think there's a lot of really good news this week uh should we jump in let's do it where do you want to start uh how about we start off with the settings api so alexa uh, released this recently. It's something that developers have been asking for forever, which is uh, both time zones and measurements as well. So you know, we've had this conversation several times, you and I, Kane. You do things in Celsius. I do things in Fahrenheit. I think Fahrenheit's a little bit better, but uh, everyone has their own preference. Uh, but now developers can actually use the individual user preference inside their skills. Uh, so you're going to get Celsius, I'm going to get Fahrenheit, you're going to get, uh, what is it, BST, uh, yeah. UK time, I'm going to get Paris-specific time in my skills. Okay. So what is what was what was the situation beforehand? Because I'm pretty sure that if I, well, if I ask Alexa herself or itself, then it presumably knows that information anyway because that's going straight to Amazon, isn't it? So this is being able to use that information within a third-party skill, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And this is this is really important for especially countries like the U.S. and Canada that span a lot of different time zones. I'll give you an example. Uh, I ended up not building it partially because I didn't have access to the time zones, but I was thinking of putting together a skill for the World Cup. Uh, you'd be able to ask when games started, scores, things like that. And you want, be, you want to be able to say the game's going to start at 3 p.m. your time instead of saying it's going to start at 3 p.m. GMT or 4 p.m. Eastern time and, and have them figure that out. In the past, you could maybe ask them for their time zone. You could ask them for their zip code, their postal code, uh, or you could just make an assumption based on where they are. But now you can actually use that, which is uh, really great for, uh, for the skills themselves but also really great for notifications as well. It goes hand in hand with that too. Okay, so what would be the impact on notifications and how, how, how does it link in with that? Yeah, so you could, as a user, say, hey, notify me tonight. Uh, notify me tonight that something is going to happen. And knowing that the user, say, is on the West Coast, you can notify them at 7 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time instead of notifying everyone in the US at 9 p.m. Eastern time and some people will get it later, some people will get it earlier. Right. And presumably beforehand, there would have been a little bit of messing around to get this information or you may have had to, for example, if you have a, a skill that is released in the UK and the same skill that's released in 
the USA. Would you and has it been known in the past that you would have to create two different skills to handle that stuff? Or is it just a bit of a workaround and a bit of a messing on to try and to try and make it work with one skill? I don't think you would necessarily need to have separate skills. Inside the code, you could certainly take a look at their locale, for example, and I could see that you're using British English. Uh, and so I can assume that you're in the UK. This obviously gets messy when somebody might be in a different locale than someone else. You could request their location as well, but it's this whole process that you don't necessarily want to go through just to get the time zone. The One of the things, at least, that's interesting here is that this is a little outside of the normal fulfillment flow. So you're not getting this as part of the payload, for example. You're not getting this as part of the request. There's a separate API that you need to reach out to uh, to get this information. This is, it has its pros and cons. Uh, So uh, Eric over at 3PO Labs wrote about this from a dev perspective. And he mentioned something that's, I think, quite insightful, which is that because it's a separate API, you're going to get extra, extra latency through those requests but you're also going to have access to that inside the things like notifications that are outside of the normal skill flow. Okay. So you would need to then, at, so at some point during a user's interaction with the skill, you would need to make a separate call to a separate API to get their time zone, for example. Is that right? That's right. Okay, fair dues. But it's still a, it's still a decent step forward, and I think one of the things that Eric was mentioning, we'll we'll link to that um, below in the show notes, was that this could potentially be a first step towards being able to use broader user preferences within different skills. So, for example, if you've got two different skills, and you I don't know, let's say one skill is a um, let's say let's use your World Cup example one. One skill is a World Cup example that you, Dustin, have created. And within there, you've got notifications set up to remind people uh, half an hour before, uh, half an hour after they've woke up or something like that. Another skill over here is a different skill. Maybe it's a uh, e-commerce or v-commerce skill and you want to set a reminder up to, I don't know, figure out when your order is going to be delivered up, for example, something like that. <clears throat> so you've got two different skills, both using two different kind of notifications. Using this kind of setting, I think what Eric was saying is that potentially you could call it once within one skill, but then use that data in the other skill. Is that right? Yeah, there's always that potential. There's always that possibility, for sure. The thing that I... The thing that keeps me from jumping straight in and saying, yeah, 100% that's going to do it, is got to be the privacy uh, issues, right? Uh, there's already a little bit of a skittishness, uh, not a ton, because I think what was this that 20% or more of Amazon Prime members already have an Echo in their home. But there's still a little bit of skittishness, perhaps, of an always-on listening device in the home. You have to really, I think Amazon, Google, Apple, Microsoft, everyone is really going to have to walk a fine line there where you're not giving away too much information. Uh, an interesting thing sort of related to this is, I don't know how many people know about this. I actually just discovered it. If you use an action on Google, for example, you can find out everything that that action knows about you. 
if you you can go into your listing into the assistant directory, and if they're using the the sort of the built-in action data store, you can go in there and see what they know about you. You can delete that data as well. Ah, really? So as everything they know is in not just what you've said to it, but also maybe things like your device location or stuff like that. If they're storing that about you, for sure. So on one of my actions, it's it's all about uh, baseball scores. It's another sport ba- sports-based one. And what I do is I keep track of what teams the users are asking about. That way I can essentially flag one as the favorite. And if they ask for something implicitly, I can say, uh, you can say, hey, what's this? how did they play last night? And I don't have to ask you, well, what team did you mean? I can go, okay, well, you've asked about Houston, 90% of the time, I'm going to give you that data. But to do that, I have to keep track of everything that they're asking, how often they're asking that. So my users can go into that listing page for the action, scroll all the way to the bottom and see what I've recorded there. Right, okay. So for this thing, then this uh, settings API um, with on, on Alexa, is it is getting someone's time zone... Is that a privacy concern as such? Because that's it's not necessarily personally identifiable data, is it? It's it's see it sound. I don't know the details of what you will actually get back if if you use the API. Um, but it's it sounds fairly broad. Yeah, I don't think the time zones and measurements. Uh, I don't think that's a privacy concern for sure. But if they're going to expand that into a broader type of settings sharing, uh, and sharing that across skills, that could be a bit of a private privacy concern where all of a sudden you're now able to connect where maybe you have uh, both a dating app, a uh, dating skill, but you also have a wedding planning skill, right? Yeah. Uh, and you can connect the two of those. Uh, that might be a, a privacy concern there. Yeah, yeah, and it could be a marriage concern as well. <laughs> right, probably. <laughs> cool, but broadly speaking, that that's that's a, a good step forward, and it's something that developers have been clambering for for quite some time, isn't it? That that API. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people were excited to see that it was the number one request on the I believe it's called user voice uh, that the Alexa team has set up for people to to request changes to the Alexa skills kit. Yeah. First posted in uh, January 2016, apparently. Oh, and I think that's I think that's when the user voice started. So <laughs> probably went long before that. Yeah. Cool. That's good, though. Yeah. So there you go, boys and girls. You can now, uh, using the settings API, get access to a user's time zone and, uh, you know, the type of weather that, that they kind of use and whether the, you know, how they measure it and stuff like that. Um so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that because it, it does have potential to make notifications a lot better and it has the potential to provide more personalized services. So, yeah, let's let's keep our eye on that and see how it goes. Moving on then, next we're going to have a look at the Voices and uh, Voicebot.ai report that was put together. Uh, Dustin, you found this one, and it was all around voice commerce, wasn't it? What's what's the what's the deal with this? Yeah, the the headline was more than more than fifty percent of voice commerce is happening on mobile. And if you've listened to VUX World before, you know that this is one of my my pet topics. 
in that we need to focus not just on Alexa, not just on Google Assistant, but on mobile as well. There's a big opportunity for developers to add voice interactions on mobile. And this really proves it out. I think especially on the commerce side, uh, this is a perfect use case for voice, whereas the voice first space is not really a perfect match for mobile, or sorry, a perfect match for commerce. Uh, we saw, what was the statistics? Uh, I don't remember the exact number, but a very small number are purchasing things on Alexa and a very smaller number of purchasing things for a second time on those devices. Mm. I think it was something along the lines of um, the total numbers was something like 2%, I think. 2% of Alexa users had um, bought something, something like that. Although in this report, it does say something slightly different. The, the, the figures I was quoting there was from a, um, I think it was a Business Insider report that said something like 2% of uh, users have uh, shopped on Alexa. This one from uh, Voices and VoiceBot says that one in five US adults have tried voice shopping and 5% say that they're using it on a monthly basis. Presumably that's 5% of that one in five, which isn't uh, huge. Possibly. I, I read it the different way. I read it as uh, 20% overall and 5% overall, which would okay. be a little bit more positive. Yeah. But I think I think the big takeaway here is that you've got your voice first space, you've got uh, your voice added space, which is what mobile is, where voice is really additive right there. And I think that at least today, uh, and maybe for the short term as well, if you're going to purchase something you probably still need a screen. Uh, you probably still want to see what that shirt is that you're going to buy before you buy it. You're going to want some way to input your address, perhaps. Uh, Amazon has a lot of this for sure. Uh, Google has this as well. Uh, but perhaps you're shipping it in a different place. Uh, perhaps you want to ship, uh, select shipping, all of this. All of this really lends itself to having multiple inputs in a way where voice first isn't quite there yet. Hmm. And apparently Siri is the most widely used voice assistant on a smartphone. And I, I kind of do this. So I'd be interested in understanding a little bit more about what what it means by voice shopping because <clears throat> excuse me, I'll I'll use Siri for example to start off the journey. So I say, hey Siri, you know, find me somewhere that sells xyz you know recently i was looking for a um i was looking for some rechargeable batteries and i wanted to see whether or not siri was smart enough to be able to either hook me up straight to amazon within the app or whether it would be smart enough to find me somewhere either locally or somewhere that can do quick delivery Typically, I would have just went straight to Amazon, but I thought I'd try Siri. Uh, but it just gave me a web result, and in the end, I didn't end up doing that. I ended up just going to Amazon, and I bought them on Amazon. So would that be classed as voice shopping? Because I've started off the journey by asking for something via voice, but I haven't completed the transaction with my voice. So be interested to see where where this report and where people in general are thinking about voice shopping. Are they thinking using voice to, to make the conversion or using voice at some part in the journey? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I know I came across some statistics recently. I think it was from PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, 
that said that 51% of shoppers use voice to research a product. Uh, so they may not be completing that entire flow, but they do want to find out information about the product before they're, before they're buying it. And beyond that, on the supply side, on the business side, 60% of retailers have mobile voice search on their roadmap by the end of 2018. So I think this is really interesting if you're a retailer that your customers are using it, absolutely, but your competitors are going to start implementing it as well. So if you want to be ahead of the curve or pretty soon right there within the curve, you need to start thinking about voice. Yeah. And mobile is, it's kind of gone under the radar a little bit of voice on mobile in, in recent times. It feels as though it's starting to kind of, you know, get a little bit more traction and be spoke about a little bit more. But when you think of the fact that most people have one of these devices in the pocket anyway, and the assistant is already on the device. Um, you know, you can see. For, I, I told the story the other week about, like, my dad typically for he'll ring me up because his printer's broke or something like that. You know, and then I'll say change the ink and he'll change the ink and it works. Or um, you know, my nana, for example, she's just completely dead against technology. My dad came down to visit the baby last week, and I was trying to find out. When you make whiskey, whiskey is clear when you first make it, and it, there's a process that you either the cheaper whiskey will add this caramelized stuff to it to give it the color. And I was trying to find what the term was, and just out of nowhere, my dad whipped his phone out and said, "Hey Google, what's the process for turning whiskey brown?" <laughs> I was like, "What the hell?" Like I did not expect him to use that. So I think that the point about that is that I think that even though smart speakers are taking the the kind of plaudit and winning most of the the kind of like uh, headline space at the moment. I think that there is an increasing number of people probably quietly underneath the surface discovering things like Google Assistant on their smartphones, which I think you're right is there's no no wonder why businesses are looking to start prioritizing mobile voice search because it's, yeah, I can certainly see in the next 12, 18 months, it's, it's only going to get bigger. Yeah, and this report showed that as well. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. They broke out 18 to 44 and 45 plus. And there's still a huge gap, uh, 66% of that younger age group, but 34% of the older age group. And for uh, such an early technology in a lot of ways, it's being adopted very quickly by people that aren't stereotypically or classically thought of as early adopters. Definitely. So yeah, there you go. Do not underestimate, underestimate mobile. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see where this goes. I, originally, I thought that, that voice assistants on mobile devices were um, a, li a little bit on the clunky side, only because of the concept of kind of friction. So having to take it out of your pocket and then speak to it. I used to think that taking it out of your pocket, first of all, if you've got it in your hand, you may as well unlock it and go for it. But I don't know. I've just wrote, noticed myself probably just naturally over the last six months, just using it more and more and more. I've my phone's just on the side, you know, even this morning, sending a text when I was feeding the baby. It's just your phone's on the side. You don't have to touch it. You can just speak to it. And I think that, yeah, definitely over the next sort of 12 months, I think it's, it's definitely going to be a place to focus for people. Cool. Next up then, where are we going next? Let's have a look. Yes, um, <clears throat> Scott Huffman of Google put together a really interesting article called Five Insights on Voice Technology. And I won't run through every single point here, but I think one of the main uh, 
things that I found interesting. I'd be interested to get your perspective on it, Dustin, was uh, yesterday we recorded the podcast with uh, John Kelvey of Bespoken, and that will either be going out this Monday or next Monday. Uh, really, really interesting conversation. We got really into detail in all kinds of interesting areas around testing, technical testing, usability testing, end-to-end testing. It was absolutely fantastic. Towards the end of the podcast, John was saying that, uh, in his mind at least, the state of play right now with voice assistants and, and the whole voice-first or voice kind of industry is that the technology is sufficient so that it will be able to to kind of do the command and control, command and response, request and response stuff fairly uh, easily. So, you know, what's the weather? Uh, Book me this, do that. You know, the kind of like thing where you'll ask something of it and it will return something. John was saying that in terms of conversational interfaces, then the kind of like the voice kind of smart speakers and voice kind of first interactions don't lend themselves uh, greatly to conversational experiences. Uh, and I think that was it was a, a unique perspective because there's a lot of talk about kind of conversation design and, and kind of like having a, an ongoing conversation with the assistant. But in this post from uh, Scott Huffman, he's the VP of engineering at Google Assistant. And the first thing that he pulls out is that voice is about action. Uh, he says that uh, on Google Assistant, people are usually trying to get something done and that queries are 40 times more likely to be action-oriented than search. What do you make of that, Dustin? I think it lines up pretty well. Uh, I think John was was very astute with you when he mentioned that. And I think it's what people think as well. The The ultimate action, the ultimate skill, the ultimate voice application right now is turning off the lights, uh, turning on and not turning off the lights. For a lot of people, it's it's exactly what they do. I think it's just the beginning, though. I really do. I think that today it might be 40x action versus search. I think we're going to see that change uh, because, and I'd be interested to see how they, how they categorize these requests. Uh, if I ask, what's the weather? Is that a search request or is that an action request? Uh, I would imagine an action, uh, sorry, I would imagine actually a search request. And that kind of thing I do see happening more and more over time. Uh, and, and I don't think it's actually one or the other as well. What's probably the most common use case? Uh, and in fact, I think it is the most common use case, according to the Alexa team, is playing music. Uh, sometimes you may just say play me music but often you might say play me the music from this artist or play me the the latest album by this artist or play me the song from the frozen soundtrack that's both an action and a search and uh, these really work well as actions but you need to have good search if you're going to get beyond just having four or five things you can choose from what do you think about this Ken? Yeah, I think uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's the searching that ends up fulfilling the action, isn't it? So if someone asks something of you, certainly in the case that you you mentioned about music, and the same can be said for you know anything like that. I suppose a podcast app, uh, you know, a podcast skill could be exactly the same. Play me a podcast about monetization or whatever. You need to fulfill the search in order to deliver the um, the requirement, don't you? So I think it's it's an interesting way of thinking about it. Though I never really thought about it in terms of having kind of actions, searches, and then a hybrid of the two. Um, but yeah, I can certainly I can see, I can see what you're getting out there, yeah. 
Yeah, and he, he mentions as well, I think, an interesting point that's almost the, the opposite of what we were just saying is that people expect conversations. Uh, and I think the, the headline is a little bit different than what he says, which is people expect to be able to speak conversationally. This is something that uh, I speak about day in and day out when I speak with our customers is that over the last 30 years, we've actually trained ourselves in how to search. Uh, searching red t-shirt large is not natural. It's not how people think about things. And I think if you were to show someone on the internet who had never uh, seen it before, and you sat them in front of Google and you say, find something, they're going to search for uh, a red large t-shirt less than $50. Right? Uh, but they learn very quickly that as soon as you do that, you're going to get poorer results. But now with these conversational interfaces, people are untraining themselves. And they said 200 times more conversational on assistant than search. Again, I'd be interested to see how they measure that. But uh, Google is a very data-oriented company. So I imagine they have some sort of understanding. And that's that's quite a large number. Mm. It's You're right, though. It's, it is more it's conversational language, isn't it? Natural language as opposed to the kind of turn taken backwards and forward continued context conversation as such and there was the the thing that they published in 2016 which was the thing that everyone still quotes to this day which is that 50 percent of voice searches are expected no sorry 50 percent of searches are expected to be made by voice by 2022 uh that's still people quote that today uh and within that publication that, that google released they they i think the way that they were measuring voice searches and the way that uh moz me- uh, measured voice searches in their tools when we spoke to Dr. Pete uh, about voice search was essentially you search in the in the search kind of query string for hey Google at the beginning um, and what they found was that whenever someone says hey Google in a search and it's followed by a more natural language type of phrase so you mentioned their red t-shirt large and it's kind of the same sort of thing with anything in the, the example that they give is weather Chicago and it's kind of like even websites almost kind of like started merging themselves and trying to sort of fit within that kind of condensed sort of search phrase, didn't they? I remember ages ago, I was trying to purposefully search for bad websites, and then, which is harder than it sounds, by the way. But I was doing a presentation at this event. I was trying to find some examples of some really bad websites. So I searched for uh, puncture repair in London and I found this website and literally at the bottom of the website there was a paragraph must have been about 400 words long and the the, the text color was only slightly lighter than the background color and all it said was puncture repair London puncture repair West Ham puncture repair Fulham Fulham puncture and it was just like all of this text intending to try and game the system to try and match those little kind of tidbitty search things um, which is I mean that, I'm sure that's been completely penalised now by Google but uh, yeah I suppose the point to make really is that yeah people are it's not the conversation that people are wanting it's the fact that people are searching for stuff in a more conversational way and what that means, I think, is that not only are they searching in a more conversational way, but they're searching for really specific stuff. So rather than weather Chicago, it's will it rain at three o'clock in Chicago, yep. which then makes it a little bit more difficult to, to try and kind of get an answer to that, doesn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just world rain as uh, do I need an umbrella? Is it going to rain today? Is it going to snow? Is it foggy? All of these things you need to account for. And if you're building a voice application yourself, that's tricky on its own. But I can only imagine on the Alexa side, on the Google side, having to not only handle will it snow, will it rain, do I need an umbrella, all of these, but also when is uh, Death Cab for Cutie playing near me? You have to handle all of these as that search engine. And uh, they're doing a great job so far, but I think we're going to see more and more that people are realizing that you can find information, uh, this bite-sized information, but it's all, all you need. And they're going to start turning more and more towards voice and conversational. Mm-hmm. And the final thing in that, um, that article, there's a few other points, but the other thing I found, found quite interesting was that they compared using Google Home the actual smart speaker versus Google, so using Google Assistant, sorry, via Google Home and using Google Assistant on an Android device. And they found that um, later on in the day on the uh, mobile, then voice was being used and Google Assistant was being used predominantly for communication kind of things, text so-and-so, send an email to so-and-so, and for more local stuff as well. So find me a restaurant near such-and-such or, um, you know, those kind of like local sort of queries. Um, whereas on, on Google Home, Google Assistant on Home, uh, the evening was spent usually consuming media and news, and there was a time period in the morning for that as well. But then the morning was also spent doing the kind of productivity tasks, which I'm assuming is stuff like, what does my day look like? Or sent me a reminder to do this later on, uh, and checking the weather as well was interesting. So it's it's interesting how people are using the Assistant in different on different devices and for different things at different times of day. Yeah, I... The interesting thing that I took away from that is a challenge that developers and and builders have and a benefit perhaps as well to users is that the have you ever read the book uh, Hooked? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, so, yeah. so a great book that's all about uh, how builders create this experience or how we get into these uh, these things where we do things over and over. There's that. And then there's a book. Uh, I can't remember the name right now. Maybe we can include that in the show notes. That's all about building habits as well. Uh, And the book about building habits I found really interesting is that they say that uh, you need a trigger. You need a trigger, you need an action, and you need a payoff. Yeah. Charles Duhigg, is it? Charles Duhigg, the power of habit. The power of habit, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, So you need those three things. You need a trigger, you need an action, and you need a payoff. And for voice... Uh, you don't really have the kind of trigger that you have on mobile where it's, oh, I get a notification. I click on that. Uh, that takes me to this game where I now have five new lives and I then end up playing this for two hours because I get all these flashing lights and this excitement. Uh, voice doesn't have that. Voice is, I really do need to remember to do this. Uh, and, you know, there's some things that are coming out there. There's notifications. There's routines. Uh, there's things like that, both on the Alexa and the Assistant platform. But I think as developers, as voice designers, we need to think about how do we build in build in a routine? How do we build it so that at lunchtime, somebody, that's their trigger to use the calorie tracking uh, voice application? This is something that I don't think really anyone has cracked yet. I think one of the challenges you mentioned it there is that you've got to consciously remember to do it at the moment. And, you know, in in that book, Hooked, I think one of the things that they kind of 
talk about is kind of staging things. So staging the uh, usage of an application over a, over a period of time. So for example, let's take an app. You'll download the app. So the first stage is to get you interested enough to download the app. Then once you've downloaded it, they'll do things to try and get you back, which might be push notifications when some activity happens. It could be an email that with a, a link in there that will take you through to the appropriate place in the app. And then you've got that kind of reward. So the the kind of social the social aspect of, of all of these apps, everything's got a social aspect now, hasn't it? And I think that's one of the things that hooks people in is because they want to go there and see what activities happened. Um, so the kind of, the, the theory is that if you can get people, you, you kind of send them push notifications and you push things out to them to kind of draw them in. But over time, if you can do that and they get such a reward from it, then that trigger becomes internal doesn't it so it becomes oh well I'm bored now what do I do when I'm bored well the internal trigger when I'm bored is to check Facebook so it's kind of in order to get people to that internal trigger stage which might be wake up on a morning all right I'm awake I'm making a coffee let's ask assistant what the weather's like or let's ask assistant to do whatever it is that your that your action is in order to get them to that point where they've got that internal trigger you need to be able to use other levers beforehand and that those other levers don't necessarily seem to be there or seem to be difficult to work with at the moment. Yeah, and the flip side of this is this is actually really good for users. I don't think they're I don't think it's an accident that these voice speakers, these voice interfaces have taken off around the time where there's this awareness and and people are tired of sort of the addictive nature of smartphones. The, the voice speakers are there for you. They're there when you need it. They're there when you speak to it. And it doesn't have these flashing lights and these notifications. And so it's going to make things more difficult for us as developers and designers to build something that people will want to come back to day after day. But it's going to be good for users because when they do, it's going to be because they actively want to. Good good summary so to wrap that up then i think if we could take some takeaways away from the um the article that scott huffman put together and we'll put the links again in the show notes is that if you're trying to think about a use case try and think about some kind of action at this moment in time seems to be the place to to um to focus on um be aware that people might be searching using natural language and, and conversational language, not just on your assistance, but also within uh, Google potentially. Uh, and also they'll be searching for something more specific than they have done previously. Um, the weather example, for example, rather than saying weather in Chicago, it might be, do I need a number at about three o'clock? So it's being able to being able to handle that level of granularity, uh, and then also thinking about how uh, or whether or not that's even the right thing to do to to, to try and work your um, your kind of action or your uh, skill into someone's daily routine and how can you uh, make something that is not trying to not trying to psychologically um, manipulate people but trying to create something that's useful enough that gets people thinking about using it and, and gets people that internal kind of trigger to go back to uh, to seek out more content would you say that's a, a summary of that Dustin is there anything else to add to that no I think that's I think that's fantastic Cool. Okay then. So before we wrap up, then we've got a couple of um, a couple of sort of I suppose uh, quick things really we can wrap up on. One is the um, Alexa 
skills challenge is now open for uh, nominations or for uh, applications rather and let me just find the link i thought i had the link to that but i don't think i do let me just uh, alexa skills challenge so essentially alexa uh, amazon run these uh, at various periods throughout the year and the latest one they did one uh, for kids they did one on uh, tech for good they've done one on life hacks and the latest one is on games so essentially i'll put the link in the show notes you can register uh, to be a part of it if you publish a game throughout september or october uh, and you enter into the alexa skills challenge then you could be in with a chance of winning a various number of prizes i think the the prize money is something like was dollars or something like that uh, and there's loads of other prizes uh, up for grabs as well um really good way of getting people involved really good way of, of uh, kind of getting more kind of innovation and, and more sort of uh, you know really good games and, and use cases on the platform uh, and do check it out have you ever i one of these am not ended Justin? up entering one of them i might still i think the build for good might still be open if it is, then I might uh, submit something, but I have not yet. Are you going to be building a game? Maybe. I, I asked whether or not interactive stories were included um, because I've got a couple of ideas for some interactive stories. I've been prototyping some over the last few weeks. Um, so and, and they are, apparently. So if, if you are an interactive story uh, writer or developer, then you can you can enter this, uh, this challenge as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about it this time. Yeah, I'm thinking about giving it a go. Yeah, and this could be an interesting opportunity for people to work with the buttons as well. They just added testing of buttons inside the testing console, so you don't even need the physical devices anymore. Fantastic. That's a good idea. Interactive stories with buttons. Maybe that's a shout. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, do check it out. We'll put the link again, as I said, in the show notes. Uh, and the other two things to wrap up with is... Um, Amazon have released an Alexa icon builder. Um, pretty sure this is this is fairly new. I don't think it's been out for, for too long. Um, and the idea is that if you are a developer and you don't have either access or the skills to do graphic design, for example, um, then this icon builder, uh, you can essentially, it's just a, it's all in the browser and you can build yourself a little round Alexa icon to, uh, to go with your skill. It's a little bit, I would say it's probably a little bit basic but if you don't have you know i don't know photoshop or illustrator or you don't have the time to 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 work on you know a kind of um a really fancy kind of graphic then it's it's definitely worth a shout it'll it'll be certainly better than than nothing um what are your thoughts on it dustin i think this is good i don't think these icons matter that much but you know, as we were talking about before we started recording most alexa skill icons i think are officially in quotes ugly as sin so <laughs> anything that they can do even if all of these icons end up roughly looking the same it's going to be better than what they have now yeah yeah there is some some pretty shocking icons out there <laughs> i mean <clears throat> i think at heart i'm a sort of designer at heart so i like to see you know what like nice looking stuff essentially i i used to really sweat the details and now i don't sweat the details that much but i really appreciate the detail so when you're kind of you know you're searching for skills and stuff like that and 
if I don't know if it's just me, but if I look at something and it looks a little bit shoddy and it doesn't look well produced, then I'm I'm far more likely to just not bother. You know, if if the if the name doesn't have a ring to it, if the icon looks a little bit amateurish, then I'm thinking, well, the code underneath it might be absolutely fantastic, but it doesn't look appealing. You know, um, yeah, it's important. It's really yeah, important. Yeah, and especially when it's not. You're not as important if you have a way of getting people to your skill or action that doesn't rely on a screen. But right now, I think that that's pre- the predominant way to get people there is via a screen. So these icons are one of the first things that people will see. Um, I think you're right, though, Dustin, that, that this does have the potential to standardize icons, which means that you're probably going to have a lot of skills with a lot of very similar looking icons, um, which I wouldn't have said is, is a good thing necessarily. But it does open up and makes it a little bit more accessible for people who, uh, you know, as I say, either don't have the skills or don't have the tools or don't have the time to, to put any real thought into, into their icons. So we'll put the link in the show notes and go and check it out. And the final thing then, this is, this is, I thought it was worth mentioning this because uh, I'm a fan of Storyline. I love the work that Vasily Shinkarenko and his team are doing over there. Uh, they seem to be growing quite rapidly, actually. The, the, you know, every, every week on Facebook or so, they're announcing new features and um, you know, funding and all this kind of stuff. So it's going really well for them. We did have Vasily on the podcast uh, a number of months back, so do check that out. It's, it's still, still a relevant conversation now. And uh, they've released the in-skill purchases that Amazon and released um, a few weeks back uh, on the Alexa platform. Storyline now have a feature within the platform where you can add in-skill purchases within your skill without needing to code. So again, similar to the icon builder, if you if you kind of don't have the, the technical skills to code and, and you're kind of using or looking for um, you know another tool to use that doesn't rely quite so much on, on the, the coding side of things, then within Storyline, you can now use in-skill purchases, which, uh, which is fantastic. Yeah, and you, you can build quite good skills inside of Storyline. Going back to the Alexa skills challenge, the very first winner of the Alexa skills challenge, I believe came from storyline so it's not just simple skills but you can actually build something quite complex so i think uh personally as a developer i sometimes look at these tools and i go how much can you really do here is anyone going to pay for something like this but then you see what people have built and it's it's quite nice people are going to it and it shows you that a lot of times it's not the underlying code it's the interaction Mm. i think that the what i like about storyline is that it allows people the creative freedom without being bogged down in the possibilities i know that you can't do quite as sophisticated stuff in in storyline that you can do if you if you code something by hand from the ground up but i think that what storyline does is it gives it gives more creative freedom and focuses more on the creativity um but you obviously will sacrifice the functionality so i think that you know it's for a basic functionality or for a, a game or for an interactive story, then uh, I think Storyline is, is fine. If you can't code, if you want something a bit more sophisticated and you want access to, to more features and you want to really build something that is um, you know, going to add real value to your business, then you might want to think about uh, something else. Cool. Okay, well... Dustin, this has been absolutely fantastic. I think that's been a really, really good first show there. I think we've done really well. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I hope people enjoy it. It's There's so much voice news coming out that we could do this every single day if we really <laughs> wanted to. Uh, but I think, you know, this has been a good recap. Wicked. So same time tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
That was Dustin Coates and myself talking about everything current in voice. I hope that's been enlightening for you. It was certainly enlightening for me. I think that was a really good discussion now. And we are going to try and bring you more of these featured episodes over the next few weeks. We're going to aim for once a week. Um, and it's not necessarily current, current, current stuff. It's not necessarily stuff that broke uh, this week. It's, it's just recent things that have happened. Uh, news that's been announced, features that have been released, case studies that we've found that you can take something practical away from and you can use that learning to go away and improve your voice strategy, to improve your design techniques and to improve your improve your development practices. So that was really useful. Thank you, Dustin, for joining us. And do let me know on Twitter. Hit me up on Twitter at VUXWorld. Let us know what you thought about this episode. We're trialing it. It's a, it's a new kind of episode for us. Um, so it'll be really, really interesting to get your feedback. Uh, it is much appreciated thank you again Dustin for joining us thank you all for listening and until next time see you later